Warning, we are about to spoil the movie Ministry of Fear. If you haven't seen the film or you plan on watching it, then click away now. Or if you've already seen it, no, you just don't care, then please stick around. The perfect crime is a layered cake, each layer more complex than the last. In the center, all of its secrets. What kind of secrets are going to be in the middle of a cake? Bees. Bees? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cinema Roulette. Um, this has been very interesting because we've kind of gotten two directors in a row that I'm really excited to review some of their films. At least this one, I've seen one of their movies before we got to them. Unfortunately, yes. Um, sucks it had to be that one. It was for this show. It was, it was for this show. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this one. Today we are going to talk about, um, a very German man who came over and tried to escape, um, a group of people he didn't like all that much for, I, I wonder why, but (laughs) his name is Fritz Lang and this movie is Ministry of Fear! Thank God. I was worried for a second that we were just going to I get actually right thought it. something was wrong. You sounded too genuine there. <laughs> yes. I was like, did you forget to hit record or something? Yeah. Wait, I was supposed to hit record? No. Son of a bitch! <laughs> All right. It's going to be a fun one to edit. Uh... Yeah, so um, this is the second Fritz Long film that we've reviewed on the show. And I'm excited to get to this one because it is actually a proper Fritz Long film. Um, If you go back and listen to our episode, you will uh, hear very clearly how disappointed I was that it was shot so blandly, especially compared to this. And now you can see for yourself why I kept going on about his style is because it's so good, especially for the time period. My God. Do you want to say which movie we covered? Because you didn't say the name. The big heat. Oh, that hurts. Okay. There you um, go. <laughs> it's like, if you go back to the episode, okay, which one? There's <laughs> over a hundred of them that you can listen to on any, app, any podcast app you want or YouTube. Oh, give me that shameless plug. Hell yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if we were just so fucking immature, anytime we shamelessly <laughs> plug, we play a, like a fucking orgasm sound. Yeah. Just, oh. The shameless plug. Ah. <laughs> or just like the little sample from uh the yellow song, just oh shameless plug. Oh yeah. <laughs> the fact that we're enjoying ourselves should should, should go to show you guys. 
means we have stuff to say this time, it unlike the last two movie does, episodes. It does. So, at f I, since I... So clearly, I'm having trouble wordsing tonight. I was going to say, but before I get into that, why don't I let you take it away with the synopsis? But it, it kind of fucked that up, so... But we got to there eventually. We did. We did. Okay. So here we are in jolly good England. There's a man named Stephen Neal. He's sitting in a room. He's watched the clock, having a good old time. Actually, he's not. He wants to leave. And he does. He leaves. The asylum? Bump, bump, bump. This will come back later, I'm assuming. That was amazing. Uh, he had been at Madhouse for about two years, and he's finally being let free. He goes out to try and get a train to London because, like most of us, we want to go be in contact with people again. And as he's waiting for a train, he sees a fair. It's a fundraiser fair for the Mother of Free Nations. And also, I guess everyone came from Twin Peaks because they're acting really odd. Not that Stephen seems to notice. But he kind of gets that. I, he's just had so little contact with people. I think he's just accepting of it. So it's World War Two. Yeah, it is World War Two, by the way, and it's in the very in the middle of a very war torn London. Yeah, we still like you have to close. When he does get on the train, he actually has to close the windows because the air raids are going on, so they don't want anyone to see the lights type deal. Mm -hmm. Which is also a very clever way to not have to use green screen. Yes, exactly. And, and look like trash. <laughs> <laughs> nah, to be fair, Pritt's long special effects are overall really impressive. So They, they are, but there is that... I think there was, like, one driving thing near the end. Like, literally, the last shot of the movie, the driving scene was so obviously green-screened. Yeah. <laughs> or... Would it still be a green-screen black-and-white movies, or they just use a flat color at that point? Uh, I think it started out, it was more blue screen, but then when color came around, they realized that was harder to key out. Huh. So they started to use green. But anyway, Stephen Goat was around at the fair. He There's some competition where you pay a cent, you guess the weight of a cake, and if you're close enough, you win the cake. He guesses, does, and he's just like, mm-hmm, that was a good guess. I think it was like three pounds, seven ounces. All of a sudden, old lady tells him like, you should go speak to this woman. It's, uh, Balane, right? Balane, yep. Balane. Not, don't have to have so much of a pause. Miss Balane, she's a fortune teller. So, oh, he goes in and she tries to tell, talk about his past. He says, no, please don't focus on that. Let's just talk about the future. All of a sudden, she even starts acting weird and Tells him to go out and say the cake weighs uh, four or pounds, two ounces, or something along those lines. So he, he does, he goes and wins the cake. Yep, it is specifically and four pounds, 15 and a half ounces. 15 and a half ounces, that's it. So he wins the cake. He's feeling pretty good. He got a cake. And everybody just kind of looks at him weird. So he quickly leaves. Another another man goes into the fortune teller's uh, hut and comes out. And all of a sudden, the lady who who is holding the whole cake raffle comes up and is like, Oh, sorry, sir. Someone else actually gets closer. It was 
the man over there, he guessed uh, three pounds, three ounces. Well, what was the weight of the cake? Three five or three and five point five ounces or something along those lines. He's like, well, I'm still closer and leaves with the cake. He's like, well, my first guess was closer to that. So either way, I got it right. (laughs) Either way. I am correct. Yep. Which means if you just had a hundred dollars, you could guess a bunch of weights for the cake. Yeah. And he was like, here, give him, uh, give him, the, give him the shilling and I'll take my cake. Okay. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Just pay him back. Cause somehow Steven has all this money. This is never explained. It really isn't. Yeah. Hey, we comment on this too. It's like, you know, for a man who just left the asylum, he sure does have a lot of disposable income. <laughs> Maybe cause it's a UK prison, not an American one. Probably. Yeah. They, like, give you, like, extra pay for just doing jobs around the asylum. I don't know if he did any. He just seemed to be sitting in that room staring at a clock. Yep. But he goes to catch his train, and a blind man joins him in his cart. However, the man isn't blind, we see. But Steven doesn't notice, and he's a nice enough guy to offer him some cake. All of a sudden, the train has to stop because of a German bombing going on at a factory nearby and they don't want to accidentally be hit on the tracks. So the blind, non-blind blind man decides to, to take this moment to grab the cake and run into the woods. Steven runs after him and they get, they basically get close enough to the factory. The man is trying to hide down like a, a bombed out house. He shoots at Steven, but soon a airstrike hits exactly on the man and kills him. Mm-hmm. Steven goes and gets the gun and then heads back to the train to try and figure out what the fuck is going on and why people want him dead for cake. He heads in town, he hires a PI to help him investigate the mothers of free nations because he assumes they're the ones involved. He does head in and meets the head of the foundation, Carla, and asks about uh, Miss Belaine. They're like, yeah, we have her on file, I guess. So what's the problem? Well, it's Carla and her brother. And her brother. Yeah. <laughs> the woman from Italy. Yes. <laughs> uh, what was the brother's name? I forget, actually. Willie. Willie. All right. His name's Willie. Yep. <laughs> I will be the mature one. <laughs> but, uh, Steven is like, hey, can we go check her out? And Willie says, okay, I'll come along with you. They go to Miss Belaine's house, but Belaine isn't the same woman. And also we see the man from uh, the fair who was supposed to win the cake. Not to mention uh, they're doing cult stuff. Just having a summoning circle, it's fine. It's all good, you know. (laughs) Willie and Steven join in. Miss Belaine starts talking about while the ceremony is going on, she he starts speaking out from the spirits and talking to Stephen, asking why he killed her, which then causes him to break the circle. A gun goes off, and the man from the fair is shot in the head. Once the lights turn on, everyone thinks uh, Stephen didn't did it because he had a gun, but even shows the only bullet that was in the revolver had not been fired, so he couldn't have done it. I got a gun. No Nazis. Nazis got to die. Bop, bop. Oh, yeah. It, they're not. Spoilers. They're Nazis. <laughs> it was Nazis. <laughs> yes. They all decide. The people at the circle tried to stay there and wait for the cops to come. Steven real 
Kai realizes he doesn't want to go back to jail and knows the cops will not listen to him. So Willie actually helps him escape by uh, Steven knocking him out and just going on the run. He runs back into Carla and they start working together to try and figure out what the, to, well, one, hide Steven, and two, figure out what the hell is going on. Because <clears throat> Carla actually hides people who are escaping from Austria. Yep. So she he's able to be a good person. There's a few clues going on. on they see one of the pe people from the uh, from the cult stuff is an author who wrote about uh, Nazi ideology. They also start to assume other people who are part of the Mothers of Free Nations are using it as a front so they can do Nazi shit. And finally, when they get a clue that to go meet with someone, the two head to a hotel room, but no one seems to have been living there. And they check the package that they were supposed to bring along, and it's a bomb! Shit explodes. Steve even is knocked out, Carla is able to escape, and Steven is thrown in prison. Turns out the PI he hired is dead, and the cops assume he did it. And no one at the party reported anything. Yeah, because he assumed that, like, oh, this is for the murder at the seance. And they're like, what? We didn't even think he was dead. <laughs> what seance? You killed more people? Oh, well, guess what, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> Steven tries to explain himself, and the cops don't believe him. But then he's like, okay, hold on. I have this and this. I have this gun. I, And I know exactly where this dude blew up. Can we go there and try to find evidence to prove that I'm not making shit up? They go back to the bombed-out house. They find a part of the revolver's handle that fell off in the in the ground, and the cops are still like, well, that doesn't mean it isn't just your gun. And then they actually find the cake, which somehow, being hit with an airstrike, <laughs> sent it up in the air and landed on part of the house that was still standing. Yeah, that's definitely the most far-fetched part of the movie. But he goes digging in the cake to see what what could possibly be in there to warrant all the shit he's been through. And they find a microfilm that would get, um, were plans for the Germans on how to bomb the city, basically. Yeah. Well, it was microfilm showing like the, the different routes, I guess, between the countries. And it, um, it was stolen from the people. Like someone came in and took pictures of it and gave it to the Nazis. Yeah. It was stolen from the jerk. Not German. Uh, the British government. And it turns out Willie was a Nazi. And Carla was still a good person. She just ran away because, you know, a bomb went off. Yeah. <laughs> Understandable. Steven goes to face Willie. He, get, he gets Carla, the two who fight. I think Willie dies, correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Will, Willie dies and so are Germans. Carla... They stop the, they stop the plot of German spies, and Carla and Steven drive off into the sunset. Yeah, the end. I do love the ending too, because they're they they obviously you know fall in love and go get married, and they're like, oh yes, I want a big wedding, you know, with all that, and then a, a nice big cake, cake. <laughs> yeah, he just cake. It just ends. <laughs> it's a fucking funny ending. But yeah, that was uh, Ministry of Fear. Now, that was made in, what, 1944? Because it was your first film from 1944, yeah? Yep. 
this was almost a decade before the Big Heat. <laughs> okay. Because this was 1944 and Big Heat was 53. So. Nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so how, my God, can I? Cake! So yeah, um, Ministry of Fear. And this one, I, I'm really glad that we landed on this because, um, like I said, I'm still sore at the big heat because um, I kept going on about how good Fritz Lang's style was, and that was one of the most blandly shot noirs I've ever seen in my life. Um, it was such a by-the-numbers noir. Oh, God. it was. And that's so... coming from someone who hasn't even watched many noirs. No, exactly. I, I, the, you, you may have me beat in 80s classics, but I definitely have him beat in noirs. <laughs> Yeah, I need to definitely work on my thir- 30s to, like, 60s. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you can see in this movie just... I, I'm going to start just... Fuck it, we'll start out with that. The cinematography is fucking amazing. <laughs> okay, the main shot that has still been sticking in my head since we watched the movie is near the end when they're running up the stairs. You get... You're looking down through a skylight. It's raining outside, so you get that atmosphere of it raining. You see... The main characters halfway up the stairs as they're chased by uh, other. Oh yeah, they killed uh, Willie, and then more German guards came, mm-hmm. or more spies came. And you see how far they are down this, how far the spies are from them. You see them running up the stairs, and you get the atmosphere of the rain. It's all this really good storytelling in just one shot. Oh yeah, while it's... keeping the tension high. It's fantastic. I also love um, the, the, the one of the most famous shots in this movie is the one with the door where like he runs out. You can't shoot me. Shoot me. Closes the door. And then you can just hear bang. And you just see like the light from the, the holes go. Psh, and you see, let's see the little uh, light there. That was just such a cool fucking shot. <laughs> it was also a nice shot. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of that in there. And like, um, obviously for those who don't know, um, I shouldn't say obviously, cause there are people out there who don't know, know much about it. Like, um, Fritz Lang got his start in German expressionism. And in case you didn't know, German expressionism heavily inspired film noir. So we have an expressionist director essentially doing a noir movie. So it's basically just an early German expressionist movie with sound. And I just love that like distinct visual style he has. Um, I also love when they get up, uh, Wayne chases the non-blind man through the wood, like the woods area. Mm-hmm. Oh, fucking uh, German expressions. Like all the trees are unrealistic yeah. and they're just weird. They do that a lot with the set design. Like that that's a thing in German expressionism and just that, that whole stylization is they did all that weird shit just to have it look cool. Because it, they, it was very much a rule of cool for them back then. Because, you know... Well, Cap- also, it's an expressive. It's called yes. expressionism. Exactly. Like, there's, like, you know, if you look at um, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, for example, um, there's a lot of, like, tilted angles. The sets are very, like, stylized, very tilted. Nothing is straight up. It's very cartoon-like. And in this movie, like, there are times when, like, they go through these doors, and the doors are, like, twice the size of them for, like, no reason. <laughs> I meant to try to look that up before uh, we watch the episode on why the hell there's so many giant doors. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it was just, like, the fact that, like, it just looked cool and he could just get cool shots, like the one where, like, they open the door, they go into the room, and then out the door you see the guy walk down the stairs and then pick up the phone. It was probably for that because a regular door wouldn't be able to catch that. 
Um, True. And at the end, when they're chasing after the tailor, he just has this giant fucking pair of comedically oversized scissors. <laughs> just to look more menacing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was my, it was my tailor and scissors. You know, I wouldn't, you know, stab anybody with that or anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, I missed that detail. Um, so they, they go to uh, Taylor as a, a clue after the microfilm, and we see the guy who was apparently shot in the head isn't actually dead. Try to chase him, but he... stuff goes awry. And uh, the dude made a phone call beforehand. Steve even redials the number and find here's Carla on the other end and Willie, and it's like. And Carlos says where they are, so they go there to the hotel, and then the ending happens. Yeah, and the tailor was worked in just because he was like, oh, yes, I think you'll find the shoulders fit quite nicely. And they put the microfilm into the shoulders. So, <laughs> I mean, if you just set them on fire, then the microfilm won't survive. Also Easy. true. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just I love that about it. Just like every single shot just looks gorgeous. Like, and there's a couple times where, like, even the reverse shot to the shot looks really nice. Like, when he's standing in the doorway and behind him, there's, like, these cross lights or whatever, like, like the almost looking triangle. And that cuts back to her and she's in the doorway. I just, I love that, like, every shot has so much attention and detail put into the lighting and just the look of it. That it just really adds to the atmosphere. Yeah, it just feel it feels so fucking noir, oh. and that's the lovely thing about it, just the harsh shadows and contrast. Hell yeah. And there's a couple times where, like, his German expressionist editing comes out, like when he's waking up in the hospital and, like, the camera's going back and forth and he's rocking in the chair kind of slowly. I... <laughs> I, however, cannot take black and white 100% seriously only because of the fact that uh, actors would wear colored makeup in order to get proper shadows and lighting on their face. Mm -hmm. And if you were to have it in color, they would look like clowns. Yeah, well, not necessarily in color, just like just like in, in better lighting, I guess, because just the way film worked is you had to light it a certain way. <laughs> and for noir... No, because even some of the makeup was like red and blue, so they'd have white, yeah. red, red, and blue face paint on. They'd look kind of like a clown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, But that didn't translate over to the film, obviously. That's just how they had to fucking do it. So, Because noir, you, you couldn't light it a lot. You In order to get those shadows, you'd have to still be able to see the fucking person. So in order to do that, you know, make their makeup way, way more prominent. Yeah. And just to get proper light bounce and all that. Yes. So. <laughs> and I'm I do... just thinking about the lighthouse. That's also. <laughs> With its lighting. That's a great fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but to get the dark scenes, the room was actually really bright to the point where the actors couldn't see each other. Yep, I knew that. <laughs> it's fucking nuts to me. Anyway, yep, different movie. <laughs> One which we might review later. Who knows? <laughs> you know, shove it on a wheel at some point. Yeah. Or maybe for Halloween. I don't know. That'd be also cool for Halloween, yeah. Um, or we'll do it for Pride. Yeah. There's also another shot I really... I, I really... Well... Yeah, you know, I was going on about Fritz Lang's expressionist editing and shit, um, but I do love the seance scene as well. That one shot just really pretty. 
Oh yeah, the use of laying there too. Like when uh, the lights finally turn off and you get just the very dramatic light on everyone's face, making them kind of floating heads in the room. That's yeah. so cool to look at. Such a neat effect. And then like the 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 clock in the asylum was a motif. And like there's a point where like it's going quiet and like she's saying all the stuff. And like uh, he's like um it cuts to uh. Oh, what's his name? Uh, Steven. It cuts to him, um, like kind of looking distraught, and then like it, it's he superimposes the clock over his head, and then like he just kind of like shakes his head off, and the clock disappears, implying like, oh, I can't get it out of my head. I love that. That's just such classic visual storytelling because like that's what they did in the silent days to you know associate things with other things. It was just so cool. <laughs> Segways are hard. <laughs> they are very hard. Um, <laughs> What should we talk about next? So, in, in summary, cinematography, mwah, top notch. Yeah, it, it's just a beautiful film to look at. Fuck yeah. Also, one side note, too, is the matte painting of the factory looked really fucking good. Oh, yeah, the practical effects for when the that factory's getting bombed mm-hmm. was actually super impressive. It looked really good for 1944. Yeah. That's why, like, ger- like a lot of German uh, directors at that time period were highly sought after in Hollywood because um, Hollywood, as a little side thing, too, that's interesting, is because Hollywood knew that, like, the Germans, they were like, man, you know, when it comes to the technical shit, these guys are on top of it. So they wanted as many, you know, German people as they could working in the industry. And Fritz Lang was one of those people. And yeah, you can so see Hollywood that. was just like the American government at the time. Yep. <laughs> Those Germans know that technology. Only one gave us good practical effects. The others gave us a nuclear bomb. Yup. But hey. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Actually, the stunt for when the bomb goes off, I kind of wonder what the fuck they did. Yeah, that was... You mean like when uh, they're in the hotel room? Or the room? Yeah, when uh, he tackles yeah. Carla to the ground and you see everything in the room get pushed back. Yeah, I wonder how they did that because it's a really solid, like, just wham! Everything just goes sideways. Like... <laughs> yeah, I wonder... What if they just got really big fucking fans? That would have been hilarious, yeah. And they, like, put, like, the couch or the heavier objects, like, just under something underneath it so they would slide easier. Yeah. Or something, yeah. That was really good. Just the stunts in general, too, are good. I guess we could go there, too, because I, I like the action scenes and the way they're worked into it. Like, the lighting really helps, too. Like, when whenever they're in the dark and, like, a gun goes off, you see, like, a flash, just bang, bang, or whatever. The use of shadow I, is so cool. I was actually so impressed that they did muscle flashes. I didn't expect that from a movie from the 40s. Oh, yeah. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> And something that's interesting, too, is Fritz Lang did pioneer a lot of very, you know, modern editing techniques like that, because they're um, in uh, Dr. Mabuse, the Gambler, um, famous silent film, uh, first in the Mabuse trilogy. Um, He was actually the first person to be able to film a car with headlights at night. Oh, really? To get that effect of, like, going down the road with the headlights on. He apparently had to, like, like actually, like, put, like, these really stupidly bright lights just so the film could capture it on the car. And <laughs> that was back in, what, <laughs> I think, like, 1914 or something. So. Holy hell. Or no, the 20s. Uh, no, sorry, 22. I was thinking of I'm not the different one. <laughs> but Still, that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> 
what were you going to transition to? I didn't know if there was anything else. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. The characters are all very well done, too. Something I have to say is it is odd how, like, kooky and weird some of the characters talk. Like, Justin made the joke about Twin Peaks, but they really do all kind of just talk like that, all the side characters. Yeah, just this degree of where it's still technically realistic, but everything they say feels off. Yeah, like, and, like, I know in the opening fair scene, it was supposed to feel that way, because, you know, it was secretly a den of spies or whatever, but all the side characters just talk really strange, and there's just these really odd, random-ass moments sometimes that just kind of happen. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember any of those examples, which is a problem for an audio podcast. Well, yeah, it's a problem. One that I can think of is when, you know, the uh, detective is following him, and he's, like, a very bumbling private investigator. Like, oh, he's not good at his job. Like, he's trying to be stealthy, and he's not being stealthy is the whole joke. But when, like... um, Oh, I keep forgetting his name. I, I keep wanting to call him Ray Milland because that's the actor. I really like Ray Milland. Um, Steven. 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 When Steven and, uh, first met Willie and then he's like going, he's like, ah, yes, follow me. We'll investigate. Like he looks back at him and is just like, okay, come on, let's go. And he's like, okay. And then he starts to go and then someone just opens a door. He was like, what do you want? Or something. He's like, oh, sorry. Is this the office of blah, blah, blah? No, it's not. Uh, okay. Sorry. And then walks away. Just bye. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right, sure. <laughs> Lol, bye. <laughs> just weird stuff like that. It's this kind of just so interesting. <laughs> now, is that because um, he wanted to sound kooky, or is it because it was a native German trying to write for English? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows at this point? <laughs> I'm sure Fritz Longwood, but he's passed away at this point, sadly. So <laughs> summoning circle time. <laughs> Yeah, he died in 1976, and uh, fun fact about um, yeah, yet another um, time Cam Cam starts to talk about, Glenn Erickson. Um, make that a drinking game. Every time I mention Glenn, take a shot. Uh, okay. Glenn actually met Fritz Long. Oh. And the interesting story he told is I think he watched like a ratty print of one of his movies. I think it was like the cut down version of Metropolis or whatever. And um, the person went to um, the the teacher or whatever went to talk about it. And just as a complete surprise, um, just all of a sudden he just introduced Fritz Long himself. (laughs) Hi. Yeah. And yeah, there was like a little Q&A healed. And then afterwards he got to talk to him. But like, yeah, he was very old and very frail at that point. Still had the... Like he was walking with a cane and all that, but yeah, he got to actually meet the man himself, which is just really cool. <laughs> I had a joke there, and then I didn't use it. Uh, <laughs> segways are still hard. The story I do like because it, I kind of knew something was in the cake once everyone was freaking out about it. Yep. It's like okay, it's gonna be, it's either gonna be microfilm or some sort of secret note, or it's poison. But it still is a solid mystery, especially. Once it's like, okay, there is something in the cake, but what is it and why the fuck does everyone want it? Yeah, and it is is nice how it keeps building up tension of like, you know, who can I trust and who can I not trust? And it does play well up to if Steven is fucking nuts. Because we see the dude leave an asylum Mm -hmm. and then for a lot of this, he seems to kind of black out sometimes. Yeah. Or everyone is acting strange. That idea of is this narr- is this narrator trustworthy yeah exactly and i do love that like how 
surprisingly deep the characterizations were like the character of Steven is really well done and he does Ray Millen does a really well job of like having this man where like you know he did have a very tormented past and like he's not actually crazy but he was sent there because of um the whole thing with his wife which dark fucking monologue for the time my god trigger warning that we are about to talk about uh suicide if you don't want to hear about that skip to 3306 i forgot to mention this in the synopsis steven uh technically mercy killed his wife she was dying of a painful disease and he eventually went out and bought she was asking to die eventually he went out and bought pill pills or syringe for her he couldn't bring herself himself to give it to her but she did find it eventually and and od'd so he was put in the asylum for two years since he technically was the one who bought it yeah like he didn't directly kill her but yeah and i it is interesting how they do like kind of just tie the clock back uh motif back as well and because in the monologue he was like you know he was sitting there just holding her the whole night um, waiting for her to pass away and he was like and i just sat there watching the clock tick away and then when dawn came she was gone it was like jesus christ i this may also i don't know if this would have been the same at the time of the film's release because you know we're not from the 40s yeah but due to the way a lot of modern storytelling is i was honestly waiting for something to be revealed that he it wasn't a mercy kill he actually just murdered his wife Mm. like as a because i was also expecting a twist of him being an unreliable narrator in some way Mm -hmm. but it was reliable because fuck nazis yeah exactly i think that takes precedence over that so (laughs) not sure why fritz long has such a a hatred for them i mean they were bad guys but it's not like he saw anything firsthand yeah oh wait (laughs) wait a minute he was born and raised in germany uh um yeah and the was this his first american movie you said uh it was uh, one of the earlier ones after coming back let me check um no it was not um actually so um when was his first his first american film was 1934 so a decade prior it was called lilium i've actually never heard of that he did get out before like a lot of yeah, um, because the, the, uh, the, the thing about Fritz Long, and this is another fun little backstory I can bring up since we're on the topic, um, the last film he did was The Testament of Dr. Mabuse, one of his most famous films. Um, and that one just outright called out Nazi bullshit. Like, not, like, I, I guess, like, kind of a, a little subtly, but not, like, you know, it, it was overt enough that people got the message. Um, and I forget We'll who, find out later, because it's on the wheel. yeah. I forget who it was. It might have been Joseph Goebbels or whoever, whoever the director of propaganda was. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Joseph Goebbels. Um, he withheld the film, and the film was very controversial and started getting banned in Germany and all of that. Uh, and like I, he, I guess he was afraid that you know people might catch on. It's like, wait a minute, this group is like taking prominence here. They might realize I don't like them. So he actually, I, I think he illegally fled the country. <laughs> I understandable yeah so he he saw the shit that was going on and he was like you know what fuck this i'm out so he left took his talents to hollywood (laughs) um 
So yeah. And then when he got back, now now he could outright call them out. He's like, what are they gonna do? Come over to America or something? I'm not sure what else to add, honestly. Yeah, it's a really solidly directed film, just technically just so impressive. Um I forgot too, actually, there's just kind of a lack of a soundtrack for most of it. Like the music stings only come up in the really important parts. Yeah, but honestly, the characters are strong enough to make you not even realize that there is no soundtrack. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, all of the actors do a fantastic job. So, (laughs) it is nice, too, that everyone's distinct, because with a lot of older movies, sometimes the characters do blend together, but... (laughs) Yeah, and also the pacing is very solid. Something I have found while looking back at, like, 50s and 40s stuff, from the little I have... Mm -hmm. The pacing is sometimes like really breakneck speed for some reason. Yeah, it entirely depends on the movie. <laughs> like uh, the the Mal- is it the Maltese Falcon? Yeah, the Maltese Falcon with Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, the Maltese Falcon. That's a breakneck pace movie. It's like, here's the detective. Come see this thing. Oh, we're here. Yep. This is what happened. I'm going here now. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like all right. Yeah, that that does happen sometimes, especially like, and, and it, it it helps too that like a lot of forty films kind of had this snappy dialogue back and forth. So, <laughs> uh, yes, the um, oh, screwball comedy made yeah. that especially popular. Oh yeah, yeah, just like this really fast paced dialogue, these quips back and forth and back and forth. Like a lot of noirs did do that too, and uh, Double Indemnity is one that kind of pioneered that. So, <laughs> um. Uh, same with, uh, oh, what is it? White Heat, uh, the one with James Cagney. I'm sure you've heard of that one. That one also has a very fast pace to it. <laughs> I actually haven't. Ah, very famous noir. We'll have, to, we'll have to watch that one at some point. At some point? Yeah. <laughs> In the fucking five years it's going to take us <laughs> to finish this wheel. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, hmm, I might have a theme for the next movie month since you're making me do it. <laughs> oh, that's true. So, well, you're not making me. I, I'm going to do it anyway, just because it, it's my turn. I yeah, guess. I did so. this one, so you'll get next year's. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, um, just overall, really, really solid film. So easy recommendation. Definitely check it out if you're wanting to get into Fritz Lang. It's a good introduction to his visual style if you don't feel like reading subtitles. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Anyway, I think that's all we have to say on um, Ministry of Fear. Yes. Ministry of Fear! So without further ado... <laughs> Which means we're ta- it's our uh, last spin of the director wheel for now until we... Because after this one, we will go back to the sellout wheel for four movies. Yippers. And if we land on a Kurosawa film, we are spinning again. Because I think that's fair. You have two Kurosawa films, two from another director. So. Yeah, two for this batch and because Cameron is a cheating bitch and put <laughs> on eight of his movies. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not actually sorry at all. Uh, you should be. We had to do double episodes for the first two. <laughs> <Yeah>. Anyway, <gasps> it is time to spin. spin. Ooh, okay. Oh, 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 what did we get? We are going to watch The Voices. The Voices. Ooh. Okay. Which is by a director whose name we're going to have to look up when we do the episode because it is slightly foreign and we're dumb in American. So. (laughs) 
We're not we're not dumb. We're just slight. We're just not in the know. We have to get the information. We're ignorant. Okay, <laughs> of said information. <laughs> I already said we're American. We don't have to say oh we're ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not ignorant like that. We're just in the anyway. This is a this is a dark comedy with Ryan Reynolds. So, uh, I would suggest watching it before we do the episode. Because I think it's a fun movie. Oh, yeah, you've I saw seen the, it. Yeah, I saw it back in a film class during my first year of college. Yeah. Oh, okay. The only film class my community college had. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we will talk about that next time. Yes, we will. I, I, don't, I don't know how to segue to the end. Just roll credits, I guess. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cinema Roulette. If you want to interact with the show more, you can follow us on Twitter, at Roulette Cinema. If you wish to follow our hosts, Justin is at JKPancake on Twitter, and Cameron is at CameronPicksInc on Twitter. If you wish to watch a video version of the podcast, it can be found on the YouTube channel, CamCam. Thanks again to Teller's Place for making the base art for all of our thumbnails. And if you enjoyed the show, Please remember to subscribe or rate on whatever podcast app you use.